information. This is Hurley in the Morning. Ah, Harry Hurley. That is a great name. WPG Talk Radio 95.5 and WPGTalkRadio.com. Thank you very much. Welcome back. Council President Tibbet. I, I have to give credit where credit's due. I'm not a big fan of Vince Mazio. Uh, actually, I even think less of John Armato because most people don't even know what he looks like or what he sounds like. And this guy's been in, I think it's possible for this is the third term. It's at least the second. Uh, but they stepped up yesterday, and so did you. And that's not without peril because in the case of Mazio and Armato, the, I don't even have to talk to Craig Calloway about this one. They're They're both out of office right now, and Assemblyman... Gunther and Risley are uh, voting for us in Trenton if Craig Calloway does not, and I think it was reluctantly, but reluctantly support Mazio and Armato last time. So Mazio doing what he did, he, he, and I know he's listening right now. Good morning, Vince. He, he get as much done as you can in the next year and a half because it's over. You're done. What the Republicans should do is just nominate Risley and Gunther again and just get out of their way. It's over. Because without Craig's support, Vince Mazio and John Armato would not have won in District 2. He denies that. He lies. I speak the truth on this point. And all you have to do is do what I did. Go to the tabulars. Go to the numbers. So this is a criticism of Mazio in one hand, but it's really a compliment because he's flushed his career down the tubes because it's over for him. He can't win next time. But he went with Marty Small instead of going with Craig Calloway and going with the vote of the Atlantic City Democratic Committee. I have to say this, Council President Tibbet, it was a courageous thing to do. Harry, it was the right thing to do. I Harry. agree with that, too. I'm, I'm, Harry, I, I'm in office. I'm a big boy, and I depend... Uh, Harry, I, I, I diversified everything I had between South Florida and New Jersey. So that if I ever had to make a tough decision, I was never going to allow someone to hold my my uh, my my home or any my job or anything. And I've never taken a job from anybody in 14 years in government to where a job could be taken away from me and hurt my family on the decision that I made. This was the right decision for Atlantic City, and there's nobody that has openly supported the Callaway family and recognized what they did more than I have. I have all those people that have always been out there acting like the Craig's friend behind closed doors but wouldn't dare be seen standing next to him in public. And Craig knows that. This isn't about Craig and me, Craig and Marty, or Craig and anybody else. This is about the right candidate to move the city of Atlantic City together. And what my final decision to based upon was, from Panfield's mouth to my ears was, and I told Craig this, that you're making one of the biggest mistakes of ever picking a candidate and picking Pam Fields for the, all the wrong reasons. Pam Fields was so far up Marty's you-know-what when she thought that she was going to be able to get him to call her deputy mayor. She agreed to a job with a $30,000 raise. Her boyfriend, whatever, was... Got a home. Marty helped put place him in housing. Get him a house when he couldn't. They were talking to Marty three, four times a day. And then when Marty said, there is no deputy mayor's position, she went bananas on him. You know, if Marty had said yes to a deputy mayor's position, we wouldn't be talking today. 
she wouldn't be all cozy and uh, fuzzy and warm and fuzzy with Craig today and his family. She would be sitting in the mayor's office calling herself deputy mayor. So out of an anger thing, she's running an anger campaign, which she's truly not just, she's not qualified. Where does she get her qualifications? This is an anger run. You could say on the radio and everywhere else, you could repeat what Marty has done and uh, say you're going to do the same things. But listen, me and Marty disagree on a lot of different issues out there. But we're men enough to put the city first. So she's not a qualified candidate. She's definitely not trustworthy. I found that out firsthand. I don't find her to be very trustworthy. I think she tells a lot of stories, down to and including. She's not, I'm Sheila Oliver's niece. No, you're not. Wake up this morning. You just heard breaking news. You're not Sheila Oliver's niece. So, and, you know, the, the stories that come out of her mouth. Had, so let me get this straight. Has she proclaimed to be Sheila Oliver's niece? All the time. All the time. And then we're finding out to be factual that she's not like what are you doing to be yourself you know start at baby steps start at the bottom run for school board learn the system move your way up but i'm more upset at the fact that you know if you were given what you were demanding marty's the greatest guy in the world and i'm supporting him but because he said no i'm not giving you that type of position there is no position like that now you want to run a scorched earth campaign that the city needs healing? The city will be on Xanax after a year of her. I mean, come on, Harry. The city is going in the right direction. Marty Smalls works great with city council. I, as council president, it's been one of my best years ever getting things done in the community because I picked that phone up. I have the ability to call the mayor's office. The mayor tells me, call a direct, a direct. And people call me with complaints. I'm able to get things done within days, Harry. Um, working with the state on the budget, getting all types of grants for the city. Marty has a good relationship with them. He's proven it. I followed him, you know, I followed in his steps where working with the state as council president, continuing where he left off. Council president, two-minute drill before the top of the hour, but we have a whole other half hour coming up, and the mayor is going to join us. But let me try to squeeze this in. When we take out, I believe in doing the right thing, and I believe in all of that, but now let's just talk brass politics. How tough is it going to be? Now, it got made better because Small is in the regular Democratic column. If he had if he had lost Callaway and that whole vote by mail juggernaut and was relegated to some other column on the ballot, that would have been I think that would have been very, very tough. Uh how do you feel that Marty Small's chances are uh in the in the July seventh primary with him being in column A but not having Craig's support? Well, going through the door with Marty through this pandemic and the uh Vote no campaign to seniors. Uh, you know, a lot of people have recognized traditional people that were not fans of his. You know, I found it to be very complimentary to him how they tell him what's such a good job he's been doing. So as far as Craig goes, I Craig knows I've never, ever misled him and have always given him some really good sound advice about people, including Bob McDevitt. And... I'm just hoping that Craig says, George has never hurt me. I better listen to what he's saying and think about it. She was not going to be friends of the Callaways. 
until Marty Small said no to Deputy Mayor. She would have turned her back on the Callaways as well. And that's what upsets me right now is because Craig is allowing himself to be used. And, and, and you know, I, Craig... Hold, hold it right there, Council President. We're coming back in just four minutes. And when we come back, we will have the leader of the executive branch, the chief executive officer, the mayor of Atlantic City, Marty Small, and the leader of the legislative branch, Atlantic City Council President George Tibbet in a early in the morning exclusive. 95.5 FM and 1450 AM WPGG Atlantic City, WENJ 97.3 HD3 Millville. More places are opening back up across America. I'm Dave Anthony, Fox News. Eleven states are lifting corona restrictions today, including one of the hardest hit by the virus, Louisiana. Fox's Evan Brown has more live. Yeah, Dave, like many other states in a so-called phase one reopening, Louisiana will allow retail stores and restaurants to reopen at limited capacity, but no bars even in New Orleans, where partying crowds used to be the norm. No one's going to be able to to uh, stand around um, and, and have uh, drinks. Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards, barbers and salons can open with limited capacity. Employees of businesses reopening will need to wear masks, Dave. CDC is out with guidelines, benchmarks to meet for reopening places like schools and community centers and offices and camps with social distancing at the heart of it. Now, there have been rising cases in some states still and worry about the virus is keeping restrictions in place in Pennsylvania. But President Trump said while he was in Allentown. We have to get your governor of Pennsylvania to start opening up a little bit. You have areas of Pennsylvania that are barely affected. And there's a big protest planned at the state capitol later today in Harrisburg. Parts of New York are allowed to reopen today, but not near New York City. Hardest hit in this corona crisis. House Democrats plan a vote today on their plan to stimulate this corona-battered economy with another $3 trillion. It would give another round of direct payments to people, extend extra unemployment, give hazard pay to essential workers and money for cash-strapped states. Republicans want to wait. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi it's amazing to me how much patience and how much tolerance some can have for the pain of others. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says there's a lot in it unrelated. There's money in there for illegal immigrants. It mentions the word cannabis, of all things. America's listening to Fox News. We're all in uncharted territory, looking for ways to support our communities. At Dell Technologies, we're making sure small businesses have the right tech solutions. Dell Technologies advisors are here for you, from helping small businesses stay connected and productive while working remotely with Windows 10 and Microsoft Teams, to rapidly deploying remote work solutions that limit upfront costs with Dell Financial Services. We're standing by you every step of the way. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. Right now, it feels like the world's standing still. But if you look to the land, it's a whole different story. From farms to backyards, wheels are turning, seeds are being planted, animals are getting fed, grass is growing, and families are giving their all to the soil. Because no matter how uncertain things get, the land never stops. So to all those linked to the land, John Deere says thank you. We're here for you because we all run together. Nothing runs like a deer. WBG Talk Radio 95.5 Weather from Chief Meteorologist Dan Zero. 
Today is our big warm-up day. Following a few early morning showers, we'll see a mix of sun and clouds and we'll feel a warming breeze today. High temperatures around 82 degrees. It'll be cooler on barrier islands and along the Delaware Bay. There is a chance for a shower or thunderstorm tonight. It'll be partly cloudy and warm with a low of 66. Tomorrow's still warm, less humid. More prominent sea breeze, though. High falls to 72. Nice day with partly to mostly cloudy skies. Only 62 with clouds and showers Sunday. I'm Chief Meteorologist Dan Zarrow on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. From Harry Hurley Way in the world's playground to the broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia Hall of Fame. I want to congratulate my friend, Harry Hurley. You're about to find out why Harry Hurley has been named to the Talkers Magazine list of the 100 most important talk show hosts in the nation. Live from the studios of Town Square Media in Northfield, it's Hurley in the Morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Hey, thanks very much. Welcome back. Coming up in 30 minutes, we scored, thank you, Don P. Hurley, we scored the first interview in the country. The band, the group, the musical group, whatever you want to call them, America, because if you just say America, you have to have context. Jerry Beckley, Dewey Bunnell, Dan Peake. The group America have never authorized a biography in their 50-year career as a band until now. And I have to get to the bottom of how this very young woman who wasn't even really around for most of their career got yes out of Jerry Beckley and Dewey Bunnell when other people have tried over many, many decades and they just wouldn't do it. So she obviously has some talent that they they picked her to be the person that would basically represent them at their 50th anniversary of their band. So it's really, it's I mean, the, the America story is great, but I just, I have to get to the bottom of that. How did she, how did she get them to say yes when all they did for decade after decade was say no? All right, we were talking about him behind his back. Let's talk to him now. Council President George Tibbet continues, and we welcome to the program the mayor of Atlantic City, who you have to say, listen, if you love Marty Small, if you hate Marty Small, if you're indifferent to Marty Small, you got to say the guy's had a hell of a week. What will probably turn out to be a four-to-one mandate on the ballot question, keeping the form of government as it is. And somebody wrote me that the cartel and nothing's going to change. I put, well, the cartel just won four to one. So, you know, I was snarky on purpose because, come on. I mean, you got to, even if you don't want to, you have to acknowledge truth. I mean, it, it, that was an ass whooping. Let's just, let's just be honest about that. Let's be, let's be fair about that. And then yesterday, and I felt really good about this because I don't really – involve myself in too many things i like to talk about what's happening write about what's happening but not involve myself but i decided yesterday to go all in on small i went big on small uh and wrote a pretty extensive piece on on why small should be in that column a ballot position because he's earned it and it was nothing against Pam Fields, who I've known for a long time, but there's just not a there's not a comparison in pedigree when you're when you're looking at one over the other. The the only reason to choose Pam Fields for the regular Democrat column would be because she got the nomination or the, the vote of the Atlantic City Democratic Committee. I'm not that's not lost on me, but when you weigh all the other variables and intangibles and everything else, there's no doubt in my mind Vince Mazio 
John Armato, George Tibbet, and others. Uh, Steve Sweeney, let me bring him up. A friend of mine in Trenton told me that uh, the president of the New Jersey Senate wanted Marty Small to be in the regular Democratic line. Uh, so he had a lot going for him uh, in terms of resume, and he had a lot going for, them, for him in terms of momentum, in terms of performance during the pandemic. And, of course, you can't ignore what happened on Tuesday because, by a wide margin, the people had a shot to take Small out on Tuesday and Tibbet and all of them, and they went the other way by an overwhelming majority where nobody even cares what is the vote because it was such a massive win that it just went away as quick as it was there. So joining us now is Mayor Small and Council President Tibbet remains. Mayor, good morning and uh, welcome to Hurley in the Morning, sir. Well, uh, good morning, Harry, and good morning to your listening audience. And um, I would like to say to you, uh, thank you for the kind words and your extensive column. Um, it doesn't go unnoticed, and I truly appreciate it. And to uh, the council president, uh, George Tibbet, um, I thank you wholeheartedly from the bottom of my heart um, for your strong endorsement. Uh, it means a lot. Mayor, thank you. Uh, thanks for noticing. Now, I spoke, but now let me give – it's more important to give you the opportunity to speak. Uh, I'm now on the record, and I've been on the record about this. I think it's pretty clear. But how did that feel? Because I have to believe this was in doubt. I mean, you had the Atlanta County Democratic chairman that has to weigh everything. Oh, my God, how do I not pick the incumbent? But if I pick the incumbent, I'm going against Craig Calloway. And look at all those votes that if he gets mad at me, then and what am I going to do? And and really, he was in he was in a tough you might think and I'm not saying you do, but anybody when I say you, I mean, anybody out there thinking might think, oh, come on small or somebody that really nobody knows small or somebody that's never really ran for something and come on it's the he's the incumbent you know look what just happened on tuesday if they didn't like him uh they would have voted against him and Tibbet and the rest of them so it sounds like it was so easy but i don't think it was because going against the vote of the democratic committee uh that's no small thing uh, pun intended so how are you feeling I remember every interview, I couldn't get it out of you. How do you like your chances? Do you think that the county chairman would, would go against the, the Democratic committee and, and pick you for the regular Democratic line? And i got to give you credit. You were very disciplined, and you, you, you finessed it every time I asked it. But now you got it, and it's in writing, and it's over, and you're in the regular Democratic column line. How did you like your chances all along? Well, uh, Harry, I love my chances, and uh, you have to understand, uh, as I stated, uh, no disrespect uh, to anyone or anybody on the um, Democratic committee or them as a whole, but um, I believe that they made their decision not based on performance, not based on policy, but based on personality and feelings. Um, quite frankly, she has more friends on that Democratic committee than I do. But if you look at the Democratic committee as a whole, I mean, they definitely don't speak for the entire city of Atlantic City. So that's not a large sampling. However, you know, you've been around a while and everyone else knows that the county chair uh, has the final say. And no matter what county chairman has been in office, um, they've always reversed decisions uh, of Atlantic City. So um, I commend uh, Chairman Suleiman. Uh, for showing the courage. I commend Vince Maggio and John Armado, as well as uh, Council President Tibbet, as well as everybody else 
um, out there that supported me. And listen, it's a, it, it, it was a tough decision, but if you, uh, you know, put uh, the tail of the tape of, of both candidates or including Jimmy Whitehead, who's a candidate as well, you will see that experience, uh, resume, accomplishments, and performance. Listen, we came in the mayor's office in a crisis seven months ago. If I would have fumbled the ball, dropped the ball, and the community would have said, man, this guy waited all his time to be mayor, and this is what he's doing, that <laughs> vote could have went the other way. But I came in, I stabilized the ship. Um, you know, we've accomplished some things. You know, we have things in place when the pandemic is over. And I'm, I'm just humble. And you have to remember, in these positions that we sign up for, you have to make tough, gut-wrenching decisions. And at the same time, at the end of the day, people are men, and they have to go by principle. And you know the saying, tough times don't last, tough people do. And I do want to say, because I haven't had an opportunity to say too many good things about him for a while, i got to give Mazio credit. Our motto just follows along, so I give him less credit, but I give him credit too. But for Mazio to go against the decider that reelected him, because without Craig... Vince Mazio would have been endorsing you as uh, a fruit stand owner, uh, and he went against the guy that was the decider. Obviously, that's not going to bode well for him going forward, but he chose, i got to give him credit, he chose to do what he thought was right over the politically expedient, and even if you just think about your own personal interests, he did something there that was probably against his own self-interests, I got to give credit for something like that. Yes, but um, as I stated, you know, and I often said this: if Atlantic City is as important to the region, to the state, or wherever, people have to make the right choice. And you know, I believe that it's a no-brainer. Um, you know, like I said, when you look at the other candidates, you know, I. You know, I exceed them and the um, aforementioned qualities uh, that I mentioned earlier in the interview. And the, the fact of the matter is, you know, the majority of the people in Atlantic City are saying that I'm doing a good job. And we have some data from our phone campaign, and it reveals as such. It's just not me saying it, and, and, and I say it with all humbleness, but it's people in all six wards that have been uh, complimentary of myself and my administration, um, like I said, a lot of people, you know, probably thought that I wanted to just come in this for the title or, you know, yes, I accomplished something and not do anything. But, you know, we had a robust plan that we presented to 1,200 plus people um, at the NBCA. We presented it to the PR Council and we presented it up and down the state and around the region. And people uh, like the fact that I came in with a solid game plan and we've been accomplishing things. And if Atlantic City is as important as everyone says, you know, we need to keep that momentum going and, uh, you know, keep me in office because at the end of the day, I have done nothing. And I repeat, I have done nothing to have the voters of Atlantic City say that, you know what, we want another change for another year. And then, you know, we'll deal with this, you know, again next year. So it's a good point. Hold right there. We're going to have 15 minutes left with uh, the Atlantic City Council President George Thibodeau still here and Atlantic City Mayor Marty Small. And then, as I mentioned, we have the America Band uh, biographer coming up right after the 8.30 break. 
That's Jude Warren. Back with the mayor and the council president of the World's Playground, WPG. With both uh, mayor and council president, I am. Early in the morning, WPG Talk Radio 95.5 FM and 1450 AM. Rescue your retirement. GrowWealthSafely.com. For the latest coronavirus news, open the WPG Talk Radio app now. Harry Hurley on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Welcome back. 18 minutes past the hour. 12 minutes. Let's make it count. A lot to still cover with Atlantic City Mayor Marty Small, Atlantic City Council President George Tibbet. Council President, we'll get you back in in just a moment. I, I really want to get the mayor's answer on this because now it's official. He's in the regular Democratic column. Uh, at this point in time, it looks as though his opponent, and I'm not, I'm not discounting the Whitehead candidacy, but it's just not... To me, it's not it's not substantial enough for me to, to take airtime and, and treat it seriously when it's not. Uh, so the Democratic nominee and the Democratic nominee will be the next mayor of Atlantic City. So it's either Small or it's Fields. Uh, mayor Small, in terms of what I just said, in terms of your ballot placement, which I believe was huge for you if you had been going against headwinds two, two ways, that could have been very, very tough. To, to do it, I, I presume, because we've talked about it before, you believe you could have prevailed off the line and without the vote-by-mail efforts of Craig Calloway. However, you've got a split now, as it looks. How do you like your chances? Uh, Harry, um, you know, I'm very confident. Um, you know, I have a very good campaign team behind me. Um, I believe that my stop in this community, um, you know, has been rising. Uh, and, you know, the people want sound leadership, you know, the people look to me and way before I've been in politics, I've been a go-to guy in this community and that can't, you know, be taken away. And you can't say the same thing about the other opponent, my other opponents. Um, name recognition goes a long way. Um, when you say my name, you don't have to say who. So um, if, if the election is all vote by mail, which I believe Governor Murphy has said, if he hasn't made it official, I believe through numerous sources, he will be making it official. He may already have made it quasi-official. If it's all vote by mail, what does that mean to you? How do you feel that will factor in? I'm, I'm hurry. Listen, I got an aggressive campaign team. You know, we're going to campaign uh, the same way, um, whether vote by mail or poll vote. Um, you know, we believe in our candidacy, and we believe that the people of Atlanta, good people of Atlantic City, uh, have seen my leadership and, uh, you know, seen me produce for them time and time and time again. And people are comfortable with that, particularly during the pandemic. As I said in our television commercial, now is not the time to change the government in the middle of a crisis. And more importantly, now is not the time to change leadership in the mayor's office in the middle of a crisis. You, this sounds like it's a meatball, like I'm just throwing you a favor, but I think it's a fair question. I think it's an important question, and I think the the, the answer is self-evident, but I want to pose the question. If this is a four-to-one, it's at least three-and-a-half, four-to-one, the decision on Tuesday, I think anybody that knows anything about politics would say that that question was a referendum on you. It was a referendum on Tibbet, the other eight members of city council. The voters were given an opportunity to take you out on Tuesday, and by a four-to-one margin, they voted the way that they did. Can you make the case that that was a referendum on you? Yes, um, Harry, like, like, like I said earlier in the show, 
if I would have gotten there and fumbled the ball and embarrassed the city of Atlantic City time and time again, we you know we weren't producing. And as I often stated, we were just getting ready to announce a tax decrease. When is the last time Atlantic City heard that word? So we came in working extremely hard. And remember, prior to me being mayor, I was the chairman of revenue and finance for four years. And I was on the state budget committee. So we used those same elements to deliver the good people of Atlantic City a tax decrease. And, yes, I believe it was about that because that's all that they made it about. Oh, the cartel, uh, the bums, uh, you know, whatever other names that they wanted to call us. It's time to get all of them out. And the residents stood tall, no pun intended. Council President Tibbet, uh, for this half hour of the program, tell the listeners uh, why you did what you did yesterday in advance of Atlanta County Democratic Chairman Mike Suleiman making his decision. You came out and you endorsed Mayor Small to be in that regular Democratic column on the ballot. Uh, tell us why. Well, Harry, first and foremost, Harry, leaders lead. Leaders are not led. And when you have a guy like Marty Smalls as your mayor and George Tibbet as your council president, we're very open to listening to everybody and very capable of taking good advice. Nobody can lead us. I mean, excuse me, nobody can control us. We do what's best for Atlantic City, what's best in our heart, and what's best for the, our families and everybody else's family in Atlantic City. And that's very important that, that everybody knows. Let leaders me, have yeah. to lead. Leaders can't be led. Let me let me go down that road because, as you both know, we've been covering Atlantic City government for over 30 years, and most of it has been with the mayor. All of it's been with the mayor, council form of government, whether it was the nonpartisan form or now the partisan form for most of that time. And I always noted and would commentate about when the mayor and the council president were at odds. That was always bad for business. It was always bad for the people. Mayor, let me give you the first comment on this. How would you report to the people of Atlantic City the professional relationship that you and the council president Tibbet have? Uh, yes. Um, you know, the professional relationship is about the business, you know, of the city. And listen, um, I've been up there for about 14 years, uh, you know, with him as a colleague on city council. He doesn't bite his tongue, and neither do I. And, uh, you know, we had some daisies and, uh, you know, different things back and forth. But at the end of the day, it's always all about the good people of Atlantic City. And then, listen, a lot of times, you know, people have preconceived notions about you. You know, a lot of times people want to put a narrative out there in certain communities. But as I stated, when people work closely with me, um, when they see me out there in the community, when they see my pure energy and passion for the good people of Atlantic City, that doesn't go unnoticed. Um, a lot of people watch. Um, one thing the pe people of Atlantic City know is I'm not going to sell them out. I've, I'm battle-tested. Um, you know, I've been down roads before where I had to fight the state, the governors, and whatever, and I'm going to do that each and every time on behalf of Atlantic City. So the relationship is professional because at the end of the day, um, you know, the administration needs city council and city council needs the administration yeah. because the administration, you know, has the ability to get things done. And um, instead of, you know, fighting for absolutely no reason, you know, for agendas and, and all of that, that's, that's, that's not good business and people are watching. It's such an important point that people forget 
that the mayor proposes, council disposes. So you absolutely need one another. And when it's um, when it's when it's dysfunctional, it's just bad for the process. It's bad for government. It's bad for the people. All right, that was the mayor to the council president. Now, Council President Tibbet, your comment from your perspective regarding the the importance of the working relationship between the council president and the mayor and as total the legislative branch and the mayor hey hey council harry, president harry, can harry, I just, oh, oh, hold on second. go ahead mayor harry exactly what i said the lieutenant governor in person with the both of us yesterday said the same thing that she likes how things are moving she likes how things are working, and there's no agendas. There's no personality conflict. This is doing what's best for the city of Atlanta. Now, is, is, that, is that your opponent's aunt that you're talking about there? I want to get this straight. No. no. All right, I'm sorry. I couldn't resist because I had never heard that until today. Uh, Council President, good, good answer, Mayor. Council President Tibbet. Well, to back up what Marty had just said, um, I, I was very proud when uh, – Lieutenant Governor unsolicited said to both of us, I'm very proud of the way you two are working together and representing Atlantic City and put all differences aside and are doing what's best for the city during this pandemic. And she noticed the hard work that everybody in the city came together and did for that vote note. And, uh, you know, it was one of the better compliments that I've gotten in 14 years. But she said she was proud of the way we worked together to do what's best for the city of Atlantic City. And to answer your question, Harry, um, it's very important. I and my council, fellow councilman and woman cannot get anything done without the mayor, and it's very hard for the mayor to get anything done. It's about the citizens and the citizens only, not about personalities. And I can say the last, since October, since he's got in there, there's nothing that I don't get done in the community when I call the office and his directors. And, and that's very important because I, I feel so alive that I'm actually being, I feel like I'm making a difference because I can get what I need done immediately without excuses. When people call me, I can go to that, take their problem to the city, and things move, Harry, and they're getting done. And that's why I put my support behind them. It's not about friends or foe. It's about are you doing the job or not. At the end of the day, it's always about, the way the city looks, how safe the city is, 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 and how much it's costing us to live in our homes. And yes, the mayor was working on a decrease with the help of council, and we were gonna. The mayor was gonna actually announce a tax decrease after everything. Everybody got upset about the uh, rebound that came out. Everybody was working hard to, to neutralize that because we know everybody is at wit's end, and you know they can't afford for taxes to go up anymore. But the good thing about this whole campaign that I noticed the most, Harry, was people throughout the county, the county also, and Atlantic City realize how much money is taking out of Atlantic City and Atlantic County to the state. $500 per slot machine goes to the state. Three hundred. They were saying they were losing $375,000 per day in state revenue from Atlantic City just from the casinos and the businesses from the casinos uh, that, that they were losing per day. Yeah, that's unbelievable. People get how much is here and how much is taken away. You cannot run out of the city 
with what we have to do and take that kind of money out of the city. Gentlemen, we've hit 30 minutes past the hour, but I can stretch it for one more minute. Let me give uh, Mayor Small a closing comment. Well, um, Harry, uh, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to be on your show this morning and address you and your listening audience. And uh, Council President, I want to thank you again for your endorsement, and I look forward uh, you know, your, to your support wholeheartedly in this election. Um, I'm honored, I'm humbled that the Atlanta County uh, Democratic Committee uh, chose to put me on the uh, party line. Um, I believe that it was a reward of my hard work, my dedication, my vision for Atlantic City, my passion for Atlantic City, where we're going to take Atlantic City during this pandemic and afterwards. We're looking forward to getting uh, businesses open, putting people back to work, and you know, particularly the little people that pour our coffee, that park our cars, that make our beds. I understand it's time to get everybody back to work. And listen, we'll bounce back. We always do. Do you guys envision 30 seconds, and I have to go hard at 30 seconds from now, do you envision us having a somewhat normal, good summer season? Well, the, 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 the summer season uh, won't, won't be the same. Um, it, it can't be because we don't know what that looks like. We don't know how social distancing and other measures will affect casinos, restaurants, businesses. You know, are you allowed? What, what, what is it going to look like with going to the walk? So the, the, the unknown is great, but regardless of what happens, Atlantic City will bounce back. We're the king of resiliency. His people will be stronger than ever. I'm happy to be your mayor at this time, leading you in a crisis. And, uh, you know, once we get through this, the city of Atlantic City and everyone will be better for it. Mayor, Council President, uh, good to visit with both of you. Let's keep in touch. Uh, congratulations to both of you on a great week. Uh, Tuesday and Thursday are now Mayor Small's favorite two days of the week. Uh, have a good day, guys. Bye. Take care. Bye. Take care. You know it. 32 minutes past the hour. When we come back, a Hurley in the Morning exclusive, the first interview anywhere in America with Jude Warren, who has written the definitive book, the first ever authorized biography of America the Band. You know America, Sister Golden Hair, Horse with No Name, uh, Jerry Beckley doing his uh, iconic uh, All My Life at the end. If you're lucky to have ever seen that and Jerry comes out with just like a stool and, and his guitar. Uh, I've seen that twice in person, and my brother tells me that's very unusual to ever get to see it once. And uh, you know the band. You know the band. Sister Golden Hair, all that. We'll be back in just a few minutes. People all over the Jersey Shore have found the easiest way to stay connected to South Jersey's talk station. It's the WPG Talk Radio app. Read free South Jersey news. Listen to your favorite talk shows. Send us pics and videos when you see breaking news. Wake up with the alarm clock feature and win cool prizes in the 1450 Club. It's all just a tap away with the WPG Talk Radio app. Download it now at WPGTalkRadio.com. E-B-E-L dot com. Six. Set the first button on your car radio for South Jersey's talk station. WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Thank you so very much, and thank you to my identical, slightly younger, and slightly less attractive identical twin brother, Don P. Hurley, for making the connection with us and with Jude. Jude Warren is here, and 
Jude will know this about me within seconds. I'm an extremely intellectually curious individual. And from the moment that my brother introduced me to you, I've been blown away at how after 50 years of no's, Jude Warren got the iconic band, America the Band, to say yes. So her work, I, I love interviewing authors that actually this is an authorized biography. Anybody can write and talk smack and write about anybody, but Dewey Bunnell, Jerry Beckley, they've never said yes to anyone. So before we even get into the book, Jude, I've got to I've got to like delve into that. And welcome to the program. You're on the air. Hi, Jude. Hi, Harry. Nice to be here. It is a pleasure. How did you get them to say yes that they would authorize <laughs> your biography? And and uh, at the time of their 50th anniversary. This is incredible. Right. Um, I, and that effect is not, not lost on me. Um, I had the idea to write a longer form book um, after I finished my master's thesis. And uh, I wrote it on Bruce Springsteen's album, actually, Darkness on the Edge of Town from 78. And having had a good experience with that and being interested in rock and roll and talking about it uh, seriously and academically, I wanted to do a, a book. And I had the good fortune to interview Jerry Beckley, actually, around his album release, Carousel, which came out in 2016. And we had a great conversation, and I kind of became captivated by their career, and I got into the discography, not just the greatest hits, which are fantastic, but getting into the deep cuts on all those great albums. Um, and I just felt captivated by their story, and I was surprised to see that there hadn't been a book yet. Uh, that There is Dan Peek's autobiography, which is wonderful, um, but he left the group in 77, and a lot happened since then. So yeah. I wanted to be able to pursue that and, and talk about it, and um, I just feel very grateful that it worked out that they said yes. It, I mean, it was a long process, but um, it was great for me, a younger writer. And it is true. I mean, a lot, in fairness, a lot did happen prior to 77, but you think about it uh, much more. I mean, you look at the totality of of the band, you're talking about almost 40 years, I guess, uh, with it being a duo and not, not a trio. So getting this um, green light, I think, is incredible. And not lost on me is the fact that the foreword is by the famous actor Billy Bob Thornton, who I have to imagine must be a huge America fan. He is. He's a very big fan. That was another a great moment for me as a younger writer um, to have that opportunity to have him write that um, through Dewey and Jerry's long friendship with them um, and his support of the band. And he's a musician himself, as you probably know. Yeah. So the forward just, that was a great plus for me. So in terms of writing the book, how long did it take you? Um, it probably, well, the interviews were such a big part of it, so it really started there. And I was thinking this morning how the first interview I did with Jerry and Dewey for the book project was actually in Atlantic City in the Borgata, where they, I know they like to play, but that was a nice way to start out. Um, but the interviewing probably went on for about 18 months, and I was writing it simultaneously. Um, so it, I guess overall it took about two years, um, three years since the genesis of the project when I began to approach them and discuss my ideas. You do something in your work, Jude, which I have a lot of respect for, and I happen to know that my brother just loves it because he loves breaking down songs and finding out what words mean. You think about some of the the, the, the lyrics in, in Chicago songs or in America, and I've, I've given you now two of my all-time three, it, and one, two of them switch back and forth. 
Chicago is undeniably my favorite band of all time, but a very close second would be America and the Beatles. So I feel like I'm in very good company with my top three, and sometimes I switch the Beatles and America from two to three, but I actually think, not just because I'm interviewing you, that I I love America's work. I love uh, what they do. I love how sometimes Jerry is showcased, and, and then obviously sometimes it's Dewey, and then the harmonies are great. Uh, I love it. I've I've seen it twice live, and I commented on this about an hour ago or so. I've seen Jerry Beckley perform all my life twice in person, and my brother tells me that a lot of people go to America concerts for years and have never seen it once live. That's true. That's a cool little thing, and I don't know if you – I think you do know the answer to it, and I want to ask you this right now, Jude, and if you're just joining in, we have the author of the authorized biography of America the Band on the first day of her book launch, which really – is quite an honor. So at all the usual suspects, you can buy Jude's great book. Amazon.com uh, is where I bought it from. Yes, I'm a client, Jude, so please, as I said to a friend of mine <laughs> yesterday, treat me with respect. I'm your client. I demand it. Uh, so I can't wait to have the book. I mean, I, I'm big on, I like reading on tablets and things like that, but I like to have the actual book that you can always pick up and look at and touch and hold. So on this thing of All My Life and Jerry Beckley, when it's just him on a stool and his guitar and the lights are way down low and you think the concert might be over, but Jerry Beckley comes out and the place goes bananas because if you're a true America fan, you know it's not over and you know what's about to happen and it rarely happens. What's the story behind the infrequency of Jerry Beckley doing that? Well, I'm, in terms of the infrequency, I'm not exactly... I know now they're, they perform all the time and they've been touring for years, of course, but they have a pretty strong set list that they stick with, um, which is fantastic. And you're right, lately that has not been in the, in yeah. the usual suspect. Yeah. Um, that's such a beautiful song, though, and actually, it, I, in my understanding, I think it's a lot of people's wedding song, and I say in my book that it's such a gorgeous song that it makes monogamy sound appealing, which is always good for a wedding song. Um, but it's a, it's from the album Final Letter, which is a great album. Um, the first album that just Jerry and Dewey were on that was um, a studio album that was after Dan had left. Um, could could they even believe how right out of the box the level of success that they had uh, knocking off other um, uh, nominees at the award shows like Neil Young and other people? Uh, did they ever imagine that they had the makings of a world-class band? Um, I think, it, in my understanding, it happened so quickly that they hardly had time to um, to process it in that way. But, yeah, I think it was probably a shock, especially because I know they knew that they had a good sound when they started out, and they were recording that first album in late 71. Um, but the level of success, like you're talking about, which really came from the success of the horse single, um, that was just shocking and um, in a great way. But just when you're young and starting out, I, I don't think you, you hope for success and you imagine it, but I don't know if you would imagine that level of it. But um, I, what through my interviews with Jerry and Dewey, we spoke about how while they were surprised and, and, and excited, um, it kind of was part and parcel with what they were going through. They hadn't done it before. So even though it was this huge success, it kind of felt like it should be happening that way to them. You know, like, oh, wow, this is great. Yes, it's a success and it's amazing. And this is how it should be for 
for, forever, right? Then, this is the way it is forever. It never changes. <laughs> this is how it starts. This is how it continues. This is how it ends. Jude Warren is our guest. We have the first interview uh, in America with the author, the the authorized biography, America the Band, Jude Warren, uh, with us until the top of the hour. We've got to get this one break in, then we'll be uninterrupted until the top of the hour. National All-Star Gary Aldrich, senior FBI agent, retired, on deck from a secret, undisclosed location in our last hour coming up in uh, about 15 minutes. We'll be back with Jude in just a few minutes. When we come back, Jude, I want to talk about uh, when they were a trio, what did the three of them bring to the table, and then the transition to America being the duo, for which we remember for basically the last 40 years. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Early in the morning, WPG Talk Radio 95.5 and WPGTalkRadio.com. Catch Bill O'Reilly and the O'Reilly Update tonight at 758, 858, and 958. Now, Harry Hurley on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. We are back. The first interview in America with Jude Warren, the author. Today is the launch of her book, America the Band, the first ever authorized biography. And it comes at the time of the 50th anniversary of the band America. And I apologized off air uh, to, to Jude because we should have done a whole hour. I, I'm, I'm regretting it, and I asked Jude if she would come back, and she says she will. So we're not going to be able to cover everything I wanted to cover today, but let's make these 11 minutes count. In terms of um, what I mentioned about my brother, he loves it when an author digs deep and learns about what lyrics mean and the story behind it. And I mean, because I always was curious about things like... Um, uh, and we're going to talk about it, and you broke it all down, uh, Horse With No Name, and you break down the first part of the journey, the beginning of the song, and all that. I want to get into that. If, if you're thinking about other groups like Chicago 25 or 624, what the heck is that? What's question 67 and 68, and why isn't 66 or 69 as important? I mean, I just I love to learn about these things. So the book begins with the first part of of the journey i won't dare try to sing it uh you broke it all down didn't you yes that's really how um how the story starts out but that's really what captivated me too i think um and i based a lot of my proposal around that and i think jerry and you responded well to that um i kind of see that song which obviously resonated with so many people in 72 when it was released and up through now um just the the resonance of, of that song, the message that's in there, to me, seems to be a bit um, a, a torchbearer version of the 60s ethos and the love, peace, and happiness thing that had gotten started. Um, and the horse kind of, to me, tells the story of, of what's where that's going to go. Um, and the rider in that song seems to be, you know, trying to get out of the rain, trying to get out of the hard times of the, the end of the 60s. Um, and into uh, some better kind of u- utopia, which uh, part of what uh, the 60s was trying to do anyway, but you can argue that it didn't um, go over 100%, but um, America tried to carry that forward in their songs, the ideology anyway. Jude, I know that Jerry did a lot of writing. Uh, is Horse With No Name? I know obviously it features Dewey Bunnell vocal-wise and great harmonies too, but uh, did Dewey Bunnell write that song or did Jerry Beckley write that song? Dewey did write Horse, um, but Jerry and Dan had a lot to do with the arranging and the arranging of the vocals and um, that 
beautiful the guitar parts um, and the la 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 chorus, and of course the um, the harmony is, is such a big part of that song. Yeah, there's no doubt, and you really feathered right into the question that I wanted to follow up with. Here's three young men from military families. They all meet in London, and they form this trio, America, the band. What did each of them bring to the table? Well, I kind of view it as. Um, if you think about the 60s into the 70s being peace, love, and rock and roll, they kind of represent that to me where a lot of Jerry's writing is very romantic, um, kind of in the uh, traditional style of ballad, uh, verse, chorus, bridge kind of thing. He's so good at using that structure. Um, and he's one of the best bridge writers in the world, which came up in a lot of interviews that I did with his colleagues as well. Um, so he brought that traditional um, understanding of what songwriting is and also being able to work in the studio so well. He's a fantastic producer um and dewey brought in excuse me a lot of this kind of raw um intuitive sort of approach to writing and he actually started out in part as an acting student so he always loved characters and um interpreting and inhabiting characters and i think that comes through in a lot of his songs um and he has definitely to me a more of a rock sound like um kind of a Stephen Stills-esque voice, a beautiful rock voice. And then Dan with his um, fantastic guitar playing. He's just a brilliant guitarist, and you can hear that on all the early records. Um, and he always connected well with that kind of country rock sound, if you hear some of his earlier songs, even like Lonely People has a bit of that. Um, and I think together they were just fantastic, and they covered all of their own individual grounds, which they, they never really took away from each other, which is what a great band does, I think. Jude's book is America the Band, the first ever authorized biography. At the time of the 50th anniversary of the band, it makes it even in incredibly more special. It's available at all the usual suspects, bookstores, and uh, I believe the best way, the easiest way to get it would be through Amazon.com. If you're a Prime member as I am, it's a little longer because of the pandemic, but still, within a couple of days, you'll have the book. And it's really an incredible read, and the author, Jude Warren, actually just achieving the approval greenlighted by Jerry Beckley and Dewey Bunnell, the first person ever to get them to say yes to uh, authorizing a book about them, I think is incredible. One of my absolute favorite America songs, and, and I guess I, I join a long list of many who love this song, Daisy Jane. And I love the way every single time I've ever heard Jerry sing it, he always says at the end, Thank you, Daisy. He always thanks Daisy. <laughs> Tell us what Daisy Jane, who, I'll give you an example. A very good friend of mine who's listening to you right now, Jude, wrote that back in the day, he was a clamor, a very successful uh, business person and, and a great friend of mine, but a great clamor back in the day. And he would clam with this other fellow, I'll just protect the innocent and say, named John Maxwell. Uh, and anytime, yeah, anytime the radio was on, and horse with no name would come on. He would call out to yell out, "Name the damn horse!" So the horse had no name. I don't know if the horse could ever, in a sequel or some other song, get a name. Uh, but Daisy Jane, who is Daisy Jane? What is that song about? I know he's flying me back to Memphis, and he's got to find his Daisy Jane and and all that. Who's Daisy Jane? Well, uh, to my understanding, there isn't an one Daisy Jane, you know, one person, and that seems to be how Jerry writes. While even Sister Golden here, a lot of these beautiful, popular songs that seem to be speaking to one woman, um, and they are in the context of the song, but they're not really about just one person. It's more of a fantastical, um, inspired take on, you know, a female character. Um, 
but, but Daisy Jane is one of my favorite songs oh. as well. It's beautiful. It is so good. What do you think it is about America? You spent a lot of time writing this, and you had access to Jerry and to Dewey. What do you think it is about their music that is so pleasant to all of us and that we've loved them? If you're a baby boomer, which I'm a young baby boomer, I want to underscore Jude, young baby boomer, <laughs> uh, they've been around my whole life. I mean, that they, they've been... When I was in formative years, before a tween, then as a teenager, they were my absolute favorite. And I, I'm going to rate them second, and I'm, I'm putting the Beatles to third, uh, because I just I just love their whole vibe. When I've had the privilege, when they've come to Atlantic City to see them on a number of occasions, uh, I love them live. I, I love them out of the studio, studio recordings. What is it about them that you think has um, endeared them for a half a century? To me, it seems to be their, their approach in writing about <clears throat> and reflecting timeless themes like um, the love, peace, happiness, nature. There's a lot of nature appreciation in all of their songs, and they never really got overly political in any of their songs. And, and when a, an artist stays out of the time that they're in in that way, where they're the timeless and, and sidestep other temporal things that come up, they really do have a long-lasting quality, or it emphasizes that. Um, and even today, like so many younger people and audiences, if you go to an America show, just proves that it, it's, their music speaks to all generations. And that it does that for me, too. And I think there's an honesty and an ardor in that, in all of their tracks. Um, they're for real, you know, in that yeah. way. They're, yeah. they're honest. Now, it lo looks tell. to me, I could be wrong, because sometimes, look, you stay together for 50 years, you look in this business, most people bust up, they just can't get along, you travel together, you're always together. It seems to me that Jerry Beckley and Dewey Bunnell have quite, uh, an, I mean, this almost sounds like Captain Obvious, Jude, but a long-lasting partnership. They really do, and it is a rare thing, you're right, um, and a testament to how well they work with one another. I think they're perfect foils for each other, both their characters and their musical um, characters, their strengths. And they let each other do their own thing, and they also step in and help both on stage and in writing, um, and just their personalities. Uh, All right, this, this is cruel and unusual. I have to interrupt because we only have a minute and a half, and I want to bring up one subject, and, and there's a hundred that I didn't get to, so I'm glad we're going to do another interview, Jude, in the not-too-distant future. Um, we'll, we'll set it up. But talk about Michael Jackson inadvertently or whatever it was, intentionally, whatever, sampling Dewey Bunnell's music, and I understand they now share a writing credit. Yes. What happened? Um, I, I believe that um, the song, um, Michael, he did take part of it for the track that he was working on, the part of Dewey's song, um, and it was worked out amongst all of them. But there is an interesting connection between the Jackson fa family um and America in that way. And I think they're mutual admirers of each other's work. Um, and Dewey speaks so well and Jerry of, of their catalog. And um, it's a nice compliment to have with one another to be associated in that way to um, mega successful artists. The biggest compliment I can give you, Jude, is I don't want our interview to end, but it has come to an end. Uh, the clock is um, ordering me to stop. The book is America the Band. It's the first ever authorized biography at the time of their 50th anniversary, Jerry Beckley, Dewey Bunnell, America the Band, obviously Dan Peake for a decade or so, 12 years, whatever it was. Jude Warren, I wish you great success, and let's do this again soon. Her book is available at all bookstores and on Amazon.com. Thank you for a delightful interview, Jude. Thank you so much for having me, Harry. You're, you're Appreciate welcome. It. Hold on, I want to say goodbye off air.
95.5 FM and 1450 AM, WPGG Atlantic City, WENJ 97.3, HD3 Millville. Gary Aldrich. The House is just about to gavel in. I'm Dave Anthony, Fox News, starting what's expected to be a very long day, ready to take action on a new plan for the corona-infected economy, which Republicans oppose. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not about getting you back to work and getting you the dignity of work and helping us open up our country again as we continue to fight the virus. Counselor to the President Kellyanne Conway told Fox it includes liberal agenda items not related to the pandemic, and Democrats insist those make up a minuscule part of this plan. Fox's Rachel Sutherland has more live. Dave, Representative Debbie Dingell, a Michigan Democrat, told the Fox Business Network she doesn't agree with everything in the $3 trillion bill, but is voting for it anyway. It is laying down a marker. It helps our state and local governments, which are decimated. Under the measure, essential workers would get hazard pay and expanded unemployment benefits would be extended. There's also another round of checks for Americans, as well as relief for people having a hard time making rent and mortgage payments. Republicans prefer a wait-and-see approach. And the White House has issued a veto threat. Dave? Now, Rachel, we just got an update showing how bad things got when everything started to shut down. U.S. retail sales plunged more than 16% in April from March. That's a record. The number of coronavirus deaths has risen the past few days in the U.S., higher than late last week. But 11 states are lifting restrictions today, including Louisiana and parts of New York, though not near New York City, hardest hit in this crisis. President Trump will give an update later today on the push for a corona vaccine. He's already been touting a milestone. Ten million tests we gave. Ten million. Now, Democrats have called his response a failure. The testing was too slow to ramp up. NASCAR is ready to restart the engines, resuming racing at Darlington on Sunday without fans. The country is starved for live sports, and we're thrilled to be the first uh, kind of major live sport uh, sport back. That's NASCAR President Steve Phelps. Drivers had a lottery for starting positions. Brad Kozlowski won pole position. America's listening to Fox News. This is a last chance alert. It's happening. Publishers Clearinghouse is ready to award $5,000 a week for life in just days. Enter now at pch.com and you could win $5,000 a week, week after week, for life. Don't miss this last chance to win $5,000 a week for life on June 30th. Enter at pch.com before it's too late. That's pch.com. Better hurry if you want the next big winner to be you. Enter now at pch.com. Entries due 625. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. If you're a pro who manages properties or replaces appliances regularly, it helps to have a go-to resource like Lowe's. We have the brands pros have trusted for years. Solid names like Maytag, Whirlpool, and GE, all easily ordered on Lowe'sforpros.com and all quickly delivered to the job site with free delivery seven days a week. Even better, you can get up to 40% off select appliances during our appliance savings event. Whatever you need today or any day, Lowe's is pro ready. Offers valid through 6-3. Free local delivery applies to appliances $2.99 or more, U.S. only. WPG Talk Radio 95.5 Weather from Chief Meteorologist Dan Zero. Today is our big warm-up day. Following a few early morning showers, we'll see a mix of sun and clouds and we'll feel a warming breeze today. High temperatures around 82 degrees. It'll be cooler on barrier islands and along the Delaware Bay. There is a chance for a shower or thunderstorm tonight. It'll be partly cloudy and warm with a low of 66. Tomorrow, still warm, less humid. More prominent sea breeze, though. High falls to 72. Nice day with partly to mostly cloudy skies. Only 62 with clouds and showers Sunday. I'm Chief Meteorologist Dan Zarrow on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. From Harry Hurley Way in the World's Playground 
to the broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia Hall of Fame. I want to congratulate my friend, Harry Hurley. You're about to find out why Harry Hurley has been named to the Talkers Magazine list of the 100 most important talk show hosts in the nation. Recount. Live from the studios of Town Square Media in Northfield, it's Hurley in the morning on WPG Talk Radio what? 95. What? We, we won? We won? I want to recount. No, no, you won. I still, I want to recount. Four minutes past the hour, ladies and gentlemen, looks like we've made it, to quote the great song by Carly Simon. It's Friday, it's the last hour and six minutes of the program, and Gary Aldrich, from a secret, undisclosed location, hermetically sealed, is here, and he is safe, I might add, he is safe and healthy. Gary Aldrich, the distinguished senior FBI agent who worked at the White House for two United States presidents, President Clinton and President Bush won. The author of the definitive, it should be like the Clinton primer, unlimited access. You know you've done something very relevant when everything that Gary wrote is still current and extremely relevant today. When you look at all these things that have gone on, Gary knows the whole pathology of all of them. My first question for the senior FBI agent retired is certainly about the unmasking of General Flynn. But first, welcome to Hurley in the Morning, Gary. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm well. Uh, temperature is normal. Good. Good. And that cough I just heard is not a problem. That's just an intermittent cough. I'm just teasing. Um, yeah, there it is again. So, <laughs> Gary, you, 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 I have to tee this up for you, and please whether you use a ping overhead driver or whatever driver you use, and, and I've seen you hit, you can hit the ball. You've played in at least uh, a decade's worth of Hurley in the Morning Charity Golf Opens, if not 11. I think you've made all but one. So they unmasked Flynn, and we knew that. But now we know, with the exception of maybe like a handful that are still redacted, we know all of these scoundrels, Biden, Comey, Clapper, the Obama chief of staff, which means Obama himself, power, and we could keep going. Why, in your very experienced estimation, why did they unmask General Flynn and even the ambassador of, I don't know what it was, Luxembourg or Italy or wherever it was? I mean, everybody's unmasking Flynn. Why were they doing that? And we know that they were doing it at strategic times after Hillary lost. So there's a lot here to unpack. What does this tell you what you've learned? Well, there were two uh, things that I could think of why they would do it. Uh, first would be uh, uh, knuckleheads who are chaotic and uh, can't, can't, can't make a Xerox copy and walk it down the hall, you see. They all have to have their own personal copy. Well, that doesn't make any sense. What makes sense is if you have enough people do it, like in the dozens, for example, then when you finally, if you ever finally become discovered, you can all have various versions and stories um, to confuse the investigators. And there would, and the main culprit, the one who who is really wanting the information in that group, will be covered. In other words. There'll be less scrutiny on that one person who got all the documents and unmasked. So, in other words, so many people were doing it that they would actually make it look normal? Yeah, so, well, they would also make it look normal, but, of course, it wasn't normal. And, no. 
And and anybody who thinks that uh, the super top secret information like this kind can be distributed to 24 different people and there won't be any leak. Will we, Gary, will we find out, in your humble estimation, because you know the way the media protects their fellow Democrats, the writer that um, brought Flynn's name out from the Washington Post, he absolutely knows who gave him Flynn's name. For those who don't know, uh, Flynn was listed something like... Um, American number one, or they had an official name for him, but it was something number one, uh, because they don't say the name of the person. Because the the truth is, it's supposed to be the information that's important. It's not ever about going to get someone. I mean, unless clearly they're they're you know committing treason or some kind of criminal offense, and none of that was taking place. This was the incoming national security advisor doing what I'm sure many other incoming people of many administrations have done, and that's beginning the work in the transition mode that's going to be taking place in your position within the incoming government. So we know we know what went on here. Th- this election did not go the way that Obama thought. And if you remember, Gary, and I know you do, and if our listeners forget, forgot, I'm going to remind you, Obama did a fake-out after Hillary lost. They knew they were going to be in a lot of trouble because they had done a lot of bad things, and it was all going to come out. My theory has always been that they did the Saul Alinsky thing. You take your problem and take your stink, and you put it on your adversary, your opponent, and you make it their problem, and you you rain hell on them, and then the next thing you know, nobody's talking about what these bad actors did. They're talking about Trump colluded with Russia, and all these, and we, we now have learned because their testimony is all coming out, Gary. They all testified truthfully truth, truthfully under oath. Clapper, all of them. Uh, Susan Rice, let me put her in this crowd. And the rest of them, they all, Comey, they all testified truthfully when they were under the threat of penalty of prison. But the campaign they ran through their fellow Democrats in the media was a campaign of lies. Your comment. Uh, a lot to unpack there, Harry. Yes, sir. Uh, I would just simply say that um, they lost the election, which was a shock. Uh, Is that a train they... within earshot of your secret undisclosed location? I'm sorry, what now? Was that a train that I heard in the background at your secret undisclosed location? Yeah, Johnny Cash used to be my neighbor yeah. just down the way. See, I just I just want to say that I, I, I learned from Aldrich for almost three decades now, so when I'm trying to forensically put together, I can now say that there is a train. I, I, go ahead, Gary, I'm just teasing. But I want you to know I heard the train, and it sounded well, cool. It sounded cool. You know, as most little boys, I had my train set, yeah. and I loved my trains, yeah. and I still love the yeah. trains, Harry, and Me I would too. love to hear them go by. Yeah, I did, too. That's why I actually stopped you in, in the tracks of the train. All right, so take it back. Your thoughts. Okay, where was I? We, uh, were, we were talking about how they testify truthfully when they're under oath, but they ran this whole campaign of lies when, in other words, you can lie on TV, just tell the truth when you're under oath. I mean, it's so it's so provable what they've done here. Okay, I'm caught. I'm caught up now. Yeah, uh, this is this is what was happening. For some reason, they had a real heartburn with the general. Now uh, you can speculate and you can remember all the excuses they give, but there was a big thing here with Flynn, and I think somebody's come closest to it when they said that 
Flynn was about to find out the, about the cabal. And he's an honest general, and he probably wouldn't be able to sit still for that. Or maybe he was already making noise about it. And they, they needed to smear him and wreck him. Yeah, yeah. That's what was going on here. He was an honest guy, possibly becoming a whistleblower who could out the cabal. Yeah, it's true. It's like Michael Douglas in uh, the movie Wall Street. I, I don't like the technique, but I like the line, and I like the way that Michael Douglas, Gordon, uh, Gordon Gecko delivers it. When Charlie Sheen, uh, Bud, is telling him about White Star, come on, it's a great company, you know, what are you wrecking it for? And Michael Douglas stops him in his tracks and says, because it's wreckable! I mean, they wrecked Flynn to save their own tails, right? I believe that he was the one weak link in their secret society that would unmask them and tell the nation what they were really up to. That's what I think. And I think they moved to... See, otherwise, if he was really a bad guy, <clears throat> what would have happened, really, is that the FBI would have started a criminal investigation, a possible espionage, and they would have put together all the usual stuff to en enable that investigation. Yeah. And it would have been ongoing at the time Trump took over yep. as president. Yep. Let me throw in one more proof positive that the Aldrich Doctrine is uh, provable and sellable. Obama told President Trump two things. Now think about this, Gary. If, if I'm becoming the president after you're the president, and you tell me the two biggest problems that I have are North Korea and General Michael Flynn. Now you think about that. In the scheme, yeah, you, yeah, exactly. It's hilarious. In the scheme of issues and our world and problems and potential problems, it's so transparent that Obama wanted to put the horns on Flynn because Flynn had the goods on them. Well, here's, here's the problem with that. Flynn was, was Obama's biggest problem. Well, Flynn wasn't what, the nation's biggest problem. That's what I'm saying. So when Obama tells President Trump, you're big, you know, you think about that. There's this small club of only a handful of people that have ever been president. You got the guy that's been in there the last eight years. And of all the things he could be telling you, he tells you your two biggest problems are North Korea and General Michael Flynn. That is so revealing, Gary. It is revealing if you look behind the uh, motives and you and you actually look at what should have happened. Like I said, if 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 the general was really a threat to this nation, it would have gone quickly to the criminal investigative side of things, and they would have put a full full fledged forward motion investigation together. And Flynn would not have survived this in the Obama White House. They would have they would have taken him out of the White House. Instead, they dumped him on uh, they dumped him on Trump to handle close quote, and uh, and then Trump eventually did fire him. Uh, and that was for the, the allegedly the lying to Pence. Right. They they they. they but now they, he says he would rehire him. They came in. They didn't know what was happening with Flynn or the rest of it. They didn't know about the cabal yet. Yep. Gary, let's get our first break in. When we come back, I have to get your take because you've been in the federal courts. You've testified in federal courts. I tried to do my best to be supportive of this judge, Emmett Sullivan, and I can't. I can't at this point. He is doing something that is so reprehensible. He is re-victimizing a victim, and he has no power to prosecute. He's a judge after somebody else charges someone and then he gets assigned to his court. This guy picking this rabidly anti-Trump, anti-General Flynn person that two days before he was named 
by um, Emmett Sullivan wrote an op-ed piece that was that convicts General Flynn for Emmett Sullivan to be saying, "Hey, I'm I'm going to ask this outside person to come in and advise me if Michael Flynn should be charged with perjury." Gary, this is. I've talked to so many judges and lawyers. This is, it doesn't matter what your political party is. This is so irregular. It's so disgusting. All he had to do was sign the document that they prepared for his signature. Newt Gingrich said it right. The federal government is not prosecuting this case. It was fatally flawed. And you're going to tell them they have to prosecute when they say they're not going to prosecute for good reason? He's everything that's wrong. He's everything that is exactly wrong in our judiciary today. I want to get your take on that, Gary, when we come back. Early in the morning, WPG Talk Radio 95.5 and on the WPG Talk Radio app. 